Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) We're so honored that you're with us this morning. Of all the places you could be, Jesus trusted you with us. And you honor us with your presence. So Jesus, we we just thank you that you are here. That we're not the generation expecting the Messiah. We're the generation drinking in the Messiah. We're the generation beholding what all the prophets paid such a massive price to expect and eagerly await. And so this morning, we just say all of our eyes are on your beauty. All of our eyes are on the wonder of who is this king who stands right in front of us this morning. We've come to celebrate your sufficiency this morning, Jesus. We've come to fill up all of our space in your heart all of our space. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, if you guys can open your Bibles with me, we're, we're going to take a peek at um, Philippians 2. This is um, a beautiful Christmas verse. Philippians 2, verse 6, we're going to start. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to his name. In the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. Uh, you know, I just love, this This is the Christmas verse. He became human, exclamation mark. <laughs> and this morning, I just want us to spend some time celebrating that he became human. That, you know, um, Jesus, by choosing to redeem us, by becoming human, redeemed everything about our humanity. 
When is the last time you woke up and you thought, I love being a human. <laughs> I'm so happy. I carry a glory just because I'm a human. <laughs> like, you're, you didn't wake up as a dog. You, you didn't wake up as a plant, you woke up as an image bearer of the living God and Jesus restored your humanity. He restored the glory on your humanity. And you know, uh, a few years ago, I was riding in the car with one of our littlest and I was like, hey, baby, what did God say after he hung the stars? And she said, it is good. Yeah, what did he say after he made the ocean? It is good. What did he say after he made the birds and all the creatures that we love? It is good. But what did he say after he made you? Very good. Very good. And you know, the, the beauty of what Jesus has restored is the very good about you. <laughs> There's no mediocre good with this God. He is the essence and definition of goodness. And the very beginning of who you are was created from the purity of his goodness, the purity of his nature. And Jesus, by choosing to redeem us by becoming a human, redeemed everything that was fallen and broken and twisted up in deception and sin and disgust. He redeemed it all back to the place of glory. We had all fallen short of glory and he redeemed us back to glory. And, and some of us think about our humanity and we're, we're still stuck waiting for a Messiah to redeem our humanity. And, and we can tell in, in the way that we talk, and we've been making huge strides in this in the church, but by separating out things in our life are secular and, and some things are sacred and spiritual. That reading my Bible is more spiritual than eating a meal with my family. And in the spirit of restoration, when Jesus is our model for what redemption in humanity looks like, we have to look at the life of Jesus and realize, where was he ever more or less Jesus? Was he more Jesus when he was healing a blind eye? Or was, was, was he less Jesus when he needed to take a nap? When he, when he was sitting down and eating food with his friends, was the fullness of Jesus ever diminished on the earth? No. And now he has restored us that you aren't just sometimes a tabernacle of the living God. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Your humanity is housing glory. And, you know, I'll never forget a few years ago, Jesus just said, do you know the tithe is not the most spiritual thing you do with your money? Uh, uh, nope. 
I didn't. I did not know that. He's like, yeah, 100% of your money is spiritual. Every penny. And I had to start making adjustments. I would give my, my tithe by faith. This is my spiritual act of worship. You, you, have you ever wrote, read a, written a big check and you know the Lord asked you to do it and you were generous? And do you know that feeling of pleasure you get? It like washes over you like I'm being like my papa. I look like my dad in my humanity right now. Anybody ever had that feeling? Uh, I, I remember at this one time, we, uh, we basically had, I don't know, $2 maybe. Maybe we had $2. That's probably generous. <laughs> and the Lord told us, uh, I, I want you to um, give $200 to that single woman over there in the church. And that was huge to us at the time. And we gave that $200, and I, can f- I could feel my destiny. I could feel I-, I have been created to live out of a means that isn't defined by me. I've been created to live from a realm that I don't create. And we gave that $200. And and probably a few weeks later, we had somebody come up to us and they said, hey, we want to give you $200 a month for the the next year. (laughs) We're we're like, we'll we'll take that kind of return. We give $200 once. And they were so faithful to us. We were just reminiscing about it the, the other night. And I had, I had been discipled by the Lord in that kind of generosity for years. And as he asked me that question, is the tithe the most spiritual thing you do with your money? He began to disciple me in a whole nother realm. And I remember uh, I, we had some problems with our vents, like the definition of adulting when you have to spend money on ridiculous things. And... <laughs> It was like a thousand dollars, and you don't even see the vents. Nobody's gonna come over and be like, "Wow, I like what you did with your vents." <laughs> no, there's gonna be zero reward, you know, except being responsible. And I was adjusting the way that I spent money, and I remember writing that check, and I felt the nearness of the Holy Spirit in the same way. For years, I had felt when I would just randomly give money away. And I felt it was my spiritual act of worship to take care of my home. That every penny in my life, every, every way I spend my time, every way I, I use my dollars, it is all just as spiritual as any other realm in my life. Because we cannot dis- dissect the person of Jesus. No matter where he went or what he did on the earth, his identity was sure. His destiny was sure. He was the fullness of God wrapped up in a body. And so he came not just to redeem parts of your humanity. He came to redeem all of you. Every part of your life, he came to bring the fragrance of redemption. And he did it by beginning the way every single human being begins. He started in a womb. 
Like, God, this is, this is what the Bible said. He decided to leave the fullness of glory and climb into a human body. And, you know, Adam and Eve, they showed up on the scene as adults. You know, like, they, they, they missed their entire childhood. They just, they just, no playing with sticks, nothing. Just, you're right here, responsibility pay for Vince, son. This is what we do. And Jesus, you know, they are the Godhead. So they could have done whatever they wanted. They, they, they could have just, they could have just Enoched Jesus in reverse. Like he was in heaven and then he was not. And he just showed up 30 years old. Let's get this done. 12 disciples. Boom. He could have, he could have showed up like Moses and the father could have just put him in a little basket with a little note, maybe a little singing gram, like a little choir of angels, right? By the stream Mary shows up to every morning. And then they could have just said, here's the Messiah. You're chosen to take care of him. But he came to redeem humanity. And there is never in all of human history except for Adam and Eve, been a human that has not started in a womb. Has anybody ever met a human that didn't start in a womb? <laughs> in my 38 years of life, I've never met a human that didn't start in a womb. And he chose to start in a womb, to redeem us all the way to the beginning. And you know, this is, this is where we learn that significance, your significance will never grow. So much about the person of Jesus would grow. You know, when he was in the womb, he was fully God. He was fully man. And he, he was invisible inside of Mary's womb. Yet Jesus, Mary showed up to Elizabeth, remember? I'm just doing recap. This is, this is Christmas Sunday recap style. <laughs> um, Mary shows up to Elizabeth's house. And, and who else is, who's in Elizabeth's womb? John the Baptist. And what does John the Baptist do? He's the youngest worshiper known in all of humanity. <laughs> because he starts leaping and dancing and rejoicing. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit before her time. <laughs> and she felt the presence of Jesus walk into the room and he couldn't even walk yet. <laughs> because the fullness of his spirit was alive in Mary's womb. Was he any less significant when John the Baptist was beholding him from another womb than when the wise men came and they were beholding him and bringing him gifts? Was he any less significant when he was learning how to walk? <laughs> was he any less significant when he was trying to figure out puberty and was probably very awkward? He, he lived life. He took 30 years 
if I had a sit down, when I have a sit down, I'm like, tell me the whole story, zero to 30, go. <laughs> Anybody else? It just drives you crazy. I think you missed a huge chunk here. Those, those are my most curious years. And yet they were significant enough that Jesus lived them quiet, normal. He lived a human life to redeem your human life. So that the first 30 years of your life, when you're just figuring out who you are, would be just as significant as the last three. When you're raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out demons, watching blind eyes open, showing us the Father. And he was showing us the Father from the time he entered Mary's womb. That this is a God who is the giver of life. He is the giver of your sustenance. He is the giver of your significance. You know, the one identity that will never grow, the only one, is son, is daughter. And unto us, a son is given. You, we grow into being a sister. We grow into being a brother. We grow into being a mom, a father, a businessman, a teacher, a preacher. We grow in our gifts, our talents. We begin in sonship. And it is, it is the one identity that through the, the whole of our life, will never change. There will never be any insecurity in your space as the one who belongs to God. And you know, right now, where, wherever you're navigating any sense of insignificance, any sense of insecurity, the gospel came to nourish that place of deficit in our heart. Jesus came to give those places in your heart rest. Because no, no matter what happens in this next year, no matter what happens in the rest of the day, when, when the prophetic words that are, you're holding in your heart come to pass. This place of sonship, this place of identity, it will not grow. It cannot be diminished. You are significant. You are secure because you began with him. That, you know, even your story didn't take shape in your mother's womb. It, it began with a God who put you there. A God who before the foundation of the world dreamt you up. This is what the Bible says, that before the foundation of the world, before any of, of the, <laughs> before the beginning started, 
you originated in the heart of God. And Jesus came to restore your place of security in the heart of God. And, you know, all through his life, we see Jesus fully living in humanity. And, you know, it is just as spiritual for you to fully own the life that you're living here on the earth as it is for you to fully own your heavenly seat in heavenly places. And we cannot let go of both, right? Because Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to be on the earth, but not defined by the earth. And you know, when we think our only goal is to live from heavenly places, we become weird. <laughs> and we lose our ability to connect with humanity. And Jesus was the most spiritual person the world had ever seen, God himself. And yet he was able to connect with humanity in a way the world had never seen before. And we see him doing things like he developed deep, real relationships. He, he could have taken care of the assignment to give his life as a ransom for the whole world all by himself. He's God. There wasn't a need for 12 disciples. He desired 12 disciples. The Bible says he called to himself those he wanted. And he wanted to model for us where the fullness of life is, is in relationship. That it's not good for man to be alone. And so he stepped into human flesh as a man and said, it's not good for me to be alone. And so everything he set his face like flint to accomplish, he did arm in arm with, with the people he chose to do life with. And, and he modeled things for us like, you know, he had, the Bible says he had dear friends. You know, sometimes I like to just pause and drink in. Jesus had friends. He had dear friends people that knew him and saw him and walked with him and talked with him and, and who knew the tone of his voice and, and not just the words we read on a page, but the feeling behind the words. You know, has anybody ever read a verse in a stern tone for like two decades and then you, re, you, you experience the nature of Jesus in a way that shocks you. And you're like, wow, I didn't know you were saying that kindly all these years. I had a finger out. And I was almost ready to run to my room thinking I was in trouble. And, and you were saying it kindly. And, you know, I, I've been in this leadership program for the last year. And all these studies come out and they they keep wrapping back around to the most effective leaders have the highest emotional IQ. That they can actually connect with people. <laughs> and when you look at the life of Jesus, 
I've been astonished to see he is the most in emotionally intelligent person that ever walked the earth. And he, he lived in a body and that was the only thing that grounded him to time because he's the ancient of days. And, you know, he was present. He was Emmanuel. He was present with people. And, you know, one of my most favorite examples of this capacity inside of Jesus's humanity to connect with people um, is when his friend, uh, Lazarus, remember he died. And the Bible says, Jesus told the disciples, he's dead and we're going to go raise him from the dead. We're going to go raise him back to life. And he, he gets to Mary and Martha, his dear friends, and they are weeping. They're, they are beside themselves. And Jesus knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows. He just said it a few verses before. And yet this one famous verse that we all memorized first, because it's only two, two words, <laughs> uh, Jesus wept. That he was so present with the grief of the people he loved, even though he knew this is not going to end in death. Yet Jesus used his humanity, his body, to connect with the people of, uh, that he loved on such a deeply attuned space that he was able to weep knowing he was about to bring reprieve for everyone that was sobbing. And, and this, this is what it means to be redeemed in our humanity, that, that we can weep with those who weep and we can rejoice with those who rejoice and that, that we can allow ourselves to see the glory in all of life because there was no part of the life of Jesus that was any less spiritual than any other part. So this morning, I just wanted to take a minute to cherish together. He became a human. And as we head into the end of this year, I just want you to pause. I want us all to pause as a community and realize how spiritual it is that we are human beings. That, you know, I remember years ago uh, reading some theology and I read, you cannot become more like Jesus by being less like a human. <laughs> you cannot become more like Jesus by being less like a human. He redeemed all of your humanity. You are very good. When you sit down this week to eat a meal for the holidays, you are very good. When you wake up in the morning to read your Bible, very good. When you, when you feel pain in your heart because you're connected to real life, very good. When you're rejoicing in the expectation of the hope you feel bubbling up on the horizon of your life, very good. Every part of who you are, every facet of your life has been redeemed 
and is saturated now with the presence of glory, the presence of Emmanuel. We are houses of this God, the living God that, you know, Jesus said, it's better that I go away. You know, the people that were walking with him and talking with him and feeling him every day were like, that's a lie. <laughs> There's no way it could be better that you go away. He said, it's better that I go away because if I go away, you will no longer have, have to stand in line for my presence. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, not everyone had access. You know, we, we see the stories where there would be a huge crowd and one would get touched. One would make eye contact with Jesus. And then sometimes the whole crowd would get healed. But in a body, he had limited capacity. He couldn't be everywhere all the time. He was in a body. He stepped into humanity. You can't be everywhere all the time. Have you figured that out in your own body? <laughs> and he said, it's better that I go because if I go, I can live in my people. The Holy Spirit can live in you, that no longer would there be a line to get to Jesus. No longer would it be the select few that get to walk with him and talk with him, that it would be an open invitation that no one would have preference over another, that the only qualification to walk with God would be to be a human being. And, and he modeled for us what it looks like to celebrate unending access to the Father. And so let's just go ahead and stand up. And we just want to thank you, Jesus, this morning that every part of our lives, everywhere that we are, everything that we feel, everything that we're navigating, you have redeemed that our life from beginning to end is covered in the fragrance of redemption. That even if we went down to the pit of hell, even there, Psalm 139 says, you would be with us. Even if we went up into the highest heavens, there's nowhere we can escape you because you chose to come and to dwell with us. And so in this day, in this week, in this season, in our lives, our greatest treasure is your presence that we are the people that get to house Emmanuel, God with us. And so we just celebrate you this morning, Jesus, and we just refresh ourselves again in the beauty of this story that you became a human. You redeemed every part of our life. And we're grateful, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys, Merry Christmas. Have the best week. We love you. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.